Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. Good morning, Southbridge. I'm glad that you are here. I'm glad to be back. I was telling the first service, if you're a guest, I haven't been preaching for the month of July, and if you're a guest and you think I talk really fast, it's because I'm really pumped to be back, okay? So come back one more time and give another shot, and uh, we're glad uh, that you're here today if you're a guest. If you just take a moment, fill out your connection card, and turn it in at the orange tent on your way out, that would be a wonderful blessing to us as a church. And uh, church family, I just want to say I am excited uh, to be back. I took the month of July off from preaching. Some of you are aware of that. Some of you realize that. And uh, heard me mention it even as I was interviewing or uh, introducing some of our guest speakers, and we had some great guest speakers. And uh, one of the reasons why I took a break, just so you know, if you didn't see on Facebook, I posted a message just saying, you know, 2016, 2017, a lot of transitions for us as a church, a lot of difficult things have happened in my personal life, in the life of our church. We changed from meeting at a movie theater to meeting here, had to figure out how to do that in about three weeks, um, had some big staff transitions. Pastor Jason, one of our founding pastors, left, and had other people have transitioned in and out of our church, and Pastor Seth's been a great blessing uh, coming in as our new worship pastor, and so lots of things happening, and I just had some close friends and some people that keep me accountable said, hey, why don't you back off for a little bit. And so through all the stuff that happened, I just kept preaching, just kept preaching, kept preaching. And I uh, took a break in July. I know some pastors do that often. I may start doing that more regularly. <laughs> but uh, I would say some of you are, you know, you're going through stuff too. And I want to be an example to our church body of rest is important. And I've kind of always been the, one of those people that thought, well, I just don't need as much sleep. I'm one of those people that doesn't need as much sleep. That's so arrogant. I realized I needed sleep over July, and uh, I just wasn't getting as much sleep. And so I want to encourage you in some of those things. And today what we're going to do is we're going to get a brand new series, and I want to let you know, I'm going to say some things through the next four weeks, and some of you are going to think to yourself, well, he must have this figured out. I'm the worst person to preach this series, okay? We're going to talk about while you're waiting. Is there anyone here that hates to wait? Because I hate, I hate waiting. Hate what is evil. Oh, wait a minute. Hey, that's not taking a verse out of context. I hate waiting. And so I want you to know, before we even get started, we're not doing this because it's like, I'm excited about this topic, and I want to learn to be a better waiter, and so Lord, will you please show? There's like things I don't want to pray for. I don't want to pray for humility. I don't want to pray for patience, because I don't know what the Lord's going to do with that, and I, and I have control issues, and so I want to be in control of those things. And so I want you to know that we're doing this series because I believe that the Lord has led us to this place to do this. And so, you know, I mentioned we get transitioned to a temporary spot. I think about where we're at as a church and how long we've been waiting for this building to happen. You know, we get these delays and these different things that have happened. We cast a vision in 2012 that we wanted every member of our church to have at least one person, just one person we're asking to have, that you're praying for regularly, that you're caring for, that you're trying to share the gospel with. And we talk about who's your one. Some of you, five years ago, picked that person. You started praying for that person. And today they're still not saved. And you're going, why not? And some of you, it's your spouse or it's one of your kids or somebody that you love a lot. And you're like, God, I'm praying. Why aren't you doing Why are we waiting? And no one likes to wait. But God does a work while we're waiting. And so what we want to talk about in this series is not missing that. The work that God wants to do in us, sometimes it's breaking us. Sometimes it's strengthening us. Sometimes it's growing us deeper with him. He's a different. I can't tell you all the details of what he is doing in your life. But I know some of the stuff that he does during those times. And we don't want to rush ahead of them. So today's message, we're going to talk about not getting ahead of the Lord. And today, I want you to really view as like the warning label for the whole series. Like we're going to talk about some stuff in the next couple of weeks of how to wait and what it looks like to wait. But today's really like, if you don't do this, here's some of the stuff that could happen. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 16. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and get there, your app or your tablet or whatever you use. If you don't have a Bible, we hand them out at the back. They're free. You can keep it, take it home with you. I'm going to pray for us and just ask God to speak to us. 
And uh, then we're going to open the scriptures, Genesis 16. So let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, for, uh, thank you for giving me a church that I love. Thank you for these people. Thank you for loving us more than I could ever love us. Thank you for loving me more than I could ever fathom. And not because of what I do, but just because of that you want me to be your son. And thank you for so many here. You want them to be your daughter. And, and I pray, God, that we would be overwhelmed with your love today. And uh, I pray for, I know I always pray for the members, but God, I pray for all the folks that are in this room. I pray that you'd speak your word into our hearts right now. Help us to realize your power, your presence, the work you want to do. Some you want to rebuke and correct and transform in that way, and some you want to encourage and enliven and, and lift their, their strength to continue to walk by faith with you. And some, they just need a new word, and I pray you give them a fresh word in these moments. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we get started, I just want to ask you the question, how many of you have heard of the book Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman? Just raise your hand so I got an idea. Okay, most of you have heard of this book. It was written back in 1995. It's been on the New York Times bestseller list I read since 2009. Think about that. It's been around for a long time. For the few of you who haven't heard of this book, what is it? Gary Chapman, kind of a counselor uh, mindset, has said over the years of his practice that there are five languages that he considers love languages, the primary way that we receive and communicate love to one another. And so that I didn't miss them, because I don't have all five of them, I want to read them to you. The five love languages are, he says, words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. So those are the five love languages, and some of you may be thinking, this one's mine, or this one's so-and-so's, or maybe you elbowed your spouse if you're sitting by somebody, that was, that's the one, I wish you'd start doing it, whatever it was. And for those of you who don't know me, maybe you're new to the church uh, since last time I preached or, or you just haven't been around in a while, I have four daughters and a wife that all live in my house. So I have five other people that live in my house, all female. So there's five women in my house and there's five love languages. Let me tell you an observation I've made of my own life. They have all five of them, the love languages. And I don't mean that between the five of them they have all five of them. I mean all of them have all of them. Each one of them wants all of these things. And you know what? Who doesn't want, like, words of affirmation? My, my daughter Ava was in the first service, and I just looked over at her, and, and I know that when I give her words of affirmation, it's like you can see her coming alive. Her face just lights up. It's like her love tank is filling up as I'm saying things. And my, my oldest daughter, Ella, she loves, she's more physical. Some of you have just boys in your house, and you think that girls are not rowdy and rough. She loves to wrestle, and she, she'll just hang on me sometimes. The little girls, they like when I'm like a camel or a horse, and I'll crawl around on the living room floor, and they'll just be on my back. They like touch. Who doesn't like getting gifts? Everybody likes getting gifts, right? Like mine's acts of service. And so if I do something for them, of course they appreciate if I do a chore for them or things like that. That's me trying to communicate love. But here, there's one that I have a hard time giving and it's time. Gary Chapman calls it quality time. I'm pretty confident it's actually quantity time as well. That's just like a, name, a fancy title for it. They all want time. Let me tell you why it's a hard time for me. And I'm just being transparent with you as we get into this series is that time is an idol for me. I'm not making that okay by saying that out loud. For some people, an idol is food. For some people, an idol is pornography. For some people, an idol is their job. For some people, an idol is their family. An idol is anytime you take something that's good and you make it ultimate. It's when that thing starts to control your life rather than you giving it to God to control in your life. And so sometimes it's naturally a sinful thing. Sometimes it can be a good thing. But when we put that good thing in the place of God, it becomes an evil thing in our lives. And so for me, time is that way sometimes. And so the emails that take me the longest to respond to are the people that email and they want to put something on the calendar. Just because I get tense about putting things on the calendar because now that time is committed. I'll drive in the car sometimes and I'll catch myself speeding and I'm not even supposed to be in a rush to get, I'm not running late. I don't even have to be at a spot. And I'm like, why are you speeding? So I, I live in this rushed way of living, I realize, because time is an idol 
It's a weakness. And some of you might identify with that and don't justify it because I'm saying it from the stage. It's a sin. And, and I've been convicted of it, and I was thinking about it in this series and thinking about this passage that we're going to go to with, with uh, Abraham and Sarah here in just a minute, and they get ahead of the Lord. And I was reminded of about two months ago, I was preaching a sermon, and it was a Saturday night, and I came up with this idea that I thought would really help me get a point across, but I needed a piece of furniture. It was an object lesson I was going to do in the message, and, and I needed this piece of furniture and decided I was going to run this errand to get it. And I want to tell you something about running errands. I am an errand ninja. Okay, if, you, if my wife wants me to buy milk and duct tape and get a fill of prescription and get some movie tickets, I'm like, all right, let's go. Like, put your stopwatch out. I'm going to beat your expectations. I can do this. But I was given some wisdom uh, when I first became a father, and the wisdom was whenever you run errands, you should take one of your kids with you. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I'm not quite a ninja when I have one of the kids with me. I'm not as fast. Everything slows down. We're getting out of the car. Don't hit anybody's door. You know, you don't let my door hit their door. And listen, don't touch stuff. Stop telling them the shiny stuff. Get over here. No, we're not going to the bathroom. You're a girl. I'm a guy. It's weird. Stop it all. And so I don't really want to take kids. And what I realize is that it's an opportunity to spend time together. And when you never know the conversation you're going to have, the memories you're going to make. And so I'm going to, like, it's Saturday night. I'm preaching the next morning. I just had this idea. And so I decided I'm going to, I like hanging out at Walmart. It's another weird thing about me. I know my wife, like, despises. She'll pay the extra 50 cents to go to Target. I, I love Walmart for some reason. So I go there first. They don't have the thing. I've got my daughter, Ava, with me. Now, Ava, she's so sweet, just a ball of sweetness. She's having a good time no matter what we're doing. But I'm rushing her in the store, rushing her through the store, getting the thing. And we go over. It was when H.H. Gregg was still closing out. I go over to H.H. Gregg. They don't have it either. I don't need a washing machine. Like, all I need is this, this little table, is what I was trying to find. So I go to some furniture stores. And as we're coming, out of one of the furniture stores, Ava starts to say back to me as we're getting out of the car, these three words in her sweet, high-pitched voice, and she's saying them in an endearing way. She says, hurry, hurry, hurry. Okay, okay, let's go. And, we go and, say, and then she says back to me, hurry, hurry, hurry. And we're in the store. And I realize what she's saying to me is she's saying back to me what I've been saying to her. As we've gotten to the, you know, I can get out of the car quick. It's like, you're, why are you so slow getting your seatbelt off? Hurry, hurry, hurry. You know, get out of the car. Getting into the store. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Get to the store. When I'm shopping, I'm not like, oh, what's this over here? I'm just, go to the spot. Get the thing. And I'm going, hurry, 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 over and over and over again. She's saying it's sweet. It's now become like one of our things as a father and daughter. But when she was saying it to me in that moment, it was convicting. Because you know what I realized? I realized I was living in a state of hurry. And when you live in a state of hurry, there's some dangers and temptations that come with that. And one of them we're going to talk about today. One of the dangers of living in a state of hurry, which some of you I know also do, is that we get ahead of God. And so today's message is titled, When Fools Rush In, because it's foolish what we do. It's actually sin when we get ahead of God. And we get ahead of God, and some of us do it with our spouse. Do you ever try to play Holy Spirit with your spouse? You see something that's not quite like Jesus in their life, and you'd like to help them. <laughs> that's called manipulation, by the way. In a job situation, like if just this piece would move or that would happen or I got credit for this and you, you try to maneuver yourself. and See, what happens when we get ahead of God is we cause a mess. So we're going to see that today in this passage of Scripture in Genesis chapter 16. So today, if you have your Bibles, Genesis 16, we're going to go through the whole chapter, but I'm going to start just by reading the first six verses. And the context for Genesis chapter 16 really goes back to Genesis chapter 12. And so if you want the full impact of this passage, I challenge you in your own private time with the Lord this week, maybe tomorrow morning when you get up, start reading Genesis 12 and just read Genesis 12 all the way through Genesis 16. What happens in Genesis chapter 12 is that God calls a guy who's an idol worshiper. He is not godly, he's not a God-fearer, but God calls him to come follow him, which is how all of us really begin a relationship with God. And he calls him to walk by faith. And so I want you to go to a place. I'm not even going to tell you where that place is yet. But God never calls us to walk by blind faith. 
Never. We don't just have faith. We don't just believe. We believe in something, and we hold tight to something, his promises. And he gives Abram two very tangible promises. He said, I'm going to give you a land, and I'm going to make you a father. In fact, his name, Abram, means exalted father. He's more commonly known as Abraham, but he's not actually named that at this point in the book of Genesis. And so God calls Abram. He's 75 years old. He has no children and tells him, you're going to be the father of a great nation, and I'm going to give you a land. And he leads them out, and he takes them to the land. It's Canaan. And he's living in the land. And as soon as he's there, he's tested. Let me tell you something about faith. Faith will always be tested. And faith that's not tested is not worth having. And so this faith is tested. As soon as he gets to the land, there's an obstacle to him taking the land. There's a famine in the land. And Abraham blows it from day two. He takes the steps. He walks out by faith. He's living by faith. That's awesome. But once he gets to the land, he doesn't consult God when there's a famine. He just flees to Egypt. And he goes to Egypt, and the leader of Egypt is named Pharaoh. That's a title. It's not a name, but he's, his title is Pharaoh. He's the most powerful guy. And he gets there, and he's got this beautiful wife who's younger than him. Her name's Sarai, or Sarah, many of us know her as. And he says to her, hey, you've got to lie and say you're my sister, because if they know you're my wife, they're going to kill me because they want you. And he does that. And let me read to you what happens in chapter 12 and verse 16. He, talking about Pharaoh, treated Abram well for the, her sake, talking about Sarah. And Abram acquired sheep and cattle, listen to what he gets, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants and camels. The maidservants that are talked about there, one of them is named Hagar. And so it was a result of Abram's sin originally that the current temptation is even in front of him. Let me tell you something about sin. There's always a ripple effect of sin. Maybe not in the short term, you don't see the consequences. Usually when we choose sin, we don't do it because we think, it's, oh, this is really going to stink, but I'm going to do it anyways. No, we do it, we think it's going to be a shortcut. We think it's going to be something good. We think, we think it's going to make our life easier. There's always a ripple effect for sin. And so Abram sins there, but then it, go, it gets really good. And so like our faith journey, it's always an up and down, right? Like, there's like this, we live by faith, but then we blow it, and then there's other things. What happens in chapters uh, 13, 14, 15 is awesome. In chapter 14, have you ever seen the movie Taken? He's like, what's that guy's name? Liam Neeson, Nilsson, something like that? Neeson? Okay, there you go. Abram's like that dude. What happens is his relative Lot gets kidnapped by these four kings. Abram chases the four kings down, whips their butts, takes his relative back. It's awesome. He's like laying in the kitchen. Oh, I'm sorry, there's no guns, but still, it was awesome what he did. And then chapter 15, he's kind of wavering. He's like, hey, you promised me children, and I've got these doubts. And he asks God, and God reminds him. Sometimes we need to be reminded of God's truth, not just learn new truth. We need to be reminded of his truth. Like, here's, I was asking the Lord this morning, what do these folks need to hear today? They need, you need to know that God loves you. You need to know you're loved at this church. Yeah, this church is like family, okay? And Abram needed to know, I am going to keep my promise. I'm going to keep my promise of giving you a child, even though it's been a while, even though you feel like it's delayed. And then there's this awesome verse in chapter 15. It's really foundational for the whole Bible. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 6, if you have a copy, read it. It says, and he believed, talking about Abraham the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. So let me tell you something. A relationship with God has never been by keeping the law. It's always been by God's grace through your faith. And it was for Abraham here in the Old Testament, and it is for you, and it is for me. And so you can't have a relationship with God apart from faith. But sometimes that faith does get tested, and sometimes there are difficulties. That's what's happening in chapter 16. Because now it's been 10 years. What they want more than anything else hasn't happened. God's promised it, and the promise now almost seems like a taunt. And so I want to ask you this before I read the passage this morning. What is the thing in your life that's most important to you that God hasn't done yet? And I want to challenge you to even write it down. And write it down for this series. You may be write it in the back of your Bible or write it on the bulletin or if you've got a device, put it in your email, email yourself, text yourself, whatever it is. But what's the thing? What's the thing for you 
that's most important to you that God hasn't done yet? Or another way to ask, what are you waiting for? And for them, it was to have a child. And so let me read you these first six verses. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. We know where she came from, Egyptian servant. There's a reason why the author tells us she's an Egyptian servant from Pharaoh. She's probably a teenage girl. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. Now, husbands, I'm not telling you not to listen to your wives, okay? But that's a problem, what he does right here. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, so 10 years, he's now 85, Sarai is 75, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, on Sarai. And Sarai said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Here's some self-righteousness. I gave my servant to your embrace. Exactly. And when she saw what she had, that she had conceived, she looked at me with contempt. You didn't foresee this? You, this, is kind of, this is common sense. You don't even need the Bible for this. Just, just know this. And then she says, may the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, here's what Abram didn't say. Here's one thing he does right in this passage. He didn't say, this was your idea. <laughs> just be quiet, husbands. Just don't do it. Behold, but he's the typical passive man here. Isn't it interesting how sometimes men, we'll just kill it at work, and then we'll be so passive at home. He just, he'd whip the butt of four kings if you go back a chapter. And he says here, uh, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Do whatever you want to do, Sarah. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she, Hagar, fled from her into the wilderness. And we'll just pause right there. And so what you see happening here in this passage is verse 1 gives you the circumstances. She hasn't had a child yet. Verse 3 tells us it's been 10 years. And then you see what she ends up doing here. She's, she's helping God out. And we'll talk about as we dive into this passage some of the reasons of why that is. But have you ever been in a situation where you think that you could help? Like you see something and you can help out. You go to a movie and they, you watch this movie and it's a good movie, but at the end of the movie you go, they should have ended that differently. <laughs> have you ever thought that before? Like if you just wrote a note to the movie writer, you could help them out. Think about that. Or, or if you, have your spouse or your roommate ever done some redecorating where you live and you come in and you're like, well, they did a good job, but you know what? You've got this eye. And if, you do, if they just put this picture right here, like you could, you could help. Or you eat a meal at a restaurant and you think to yourself, this is good. It needs some salt or it needs some whatever. The, you're, you know the ingredient that it needs. Or maybe today at church, you come in and you're like, hey, I like this, but you know what they should do? Here's what I would say to you. Please write that down in your connection card. We would love to get better. We don't think we're infallible. We would love your help. Do you know who doesn't need your help, though? God. God does not need your help. The movie writers might need your help. It's true. You might have an idea they never thought of. The restaurant, maybe you should put that on the comment card. You can tell us today at church if there's something you think, hey, why don't you turn the air conditioning up or down or well, it's different or whatever, whatever it is you think. Go ahead. But I'll tell you what. When God created the world, on the seventh day, he didn't go, I wonder what, put your name in the blank, is thinking. <laughs> this is good, but I wonder, I wonder if Joe likes it. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder if Shanna would approve I wonder how, he's not thinking that. He said it was good. The fact that he said it was good, is it is good because he's good. Amen? Amen. God is good. That's right, Steve. And all the time. <laughs> That's right. You know that. But here's what happens. We doubt those things. We doubt that. And so then we start to rush ahead. We think he needs our help. 
And we become urgent about things we shouldn't be urgent about, and we're not urgent about things we should be urgent about. So let me tell you something with this series. The point of this isn't we should all be passive. There's an activity involved in waiting, and we'll get to that next week. Got to come back. (laughs) But there's things we should be urgent about. Let's talk about a couple of them. One of them is this. How about people that don't have Christ that are headed for a Christless eternity or dying every day? There should be an urgency about that. How about this? Your life is a vapor, James tells us. And then we read in the New Testament that while we're not saved by works, the works that we do here impact how we spend eternity, how you use your money, how you spend your time, what you do with the gifting that God's given you. All ch- so you might be going to heaven, but heaven's not going to be the same for everybody. There are rewards in heaven. So what does that look like? There should be an urgency about using our money and using our time and using our gifts for the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. We should have urgency about those things. There's other things that we get urgent about that aren't ours to be urgent about. God's provision, he's promised it. He doesn't need your help. How about this? Your dreams. God's got a plan for your life before you were ever even in existence. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It's a wonderful plan. It's a good plan. He's got exact works for you to do. You've got to walk in faithfulness and obedience to them. But he doesn't need you to do those things. He was like, this is a great universe. I just need, I just need Justin. I just need JD. I just need Sue. I just, No. But he chooses to, he's got a good plan for you, a good plan in your life. And when we get ahead of him, that's called sin. It's not just an accident. It's not just a mistake. It's a lack of faith. Anything that's not by faith is sin. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. When we get ahead of God, that is sin. And so here's our main point today is this. When we sin with rushing ahead of God, the sin of rushing ahead of God reveals our real beliefs. There's things that all of us say that we believe, but the sin of rushing ahead of God reveals our real beliefs. By real beliefs, I mean this. I mean, there are things that we say that are true. God is good. God is powerful. God is everything. God is whatever that you say that you believe. But you find out what you really believe when real life intersects with the things that you talk about at church, the things you learned when you were a little kid, the things that you studied in your devotional time. When, when you say, I believe this, I believe this, but then real life smacks up against that, now we find out what's real. Now we find out what we really believe. And when we rush ahead of God, that sin reveals some beliefs about us. And so today's message, I'm going to give you four beliefs that it reveals, and then one glorious truth at the end. So our main point is that sin reveals our real beliefs, and we're going to talk about some of those beliefs as we go back to this passage. Let me tell you the two temptations that happen when God delays for us. The two temptations are both sin. One is this, to give up, to throw in the towel, to be completely and totally passive. I'm done. I'm done with this. Not working. God, I prayed. You didn't save him. God, I wanted this. You didn't happen. And you check out. The other one is to get ahead of him. And I'll tell you, that's the one I have more propensity to go towards. I'm just going to, God, you just, maybe I should have done this, or maybe you needed that, or how about either one's a sin, and they both reveal something. But look at this passage of Scripture. Now, Sarah and Abram, Abram's wife had borne him no children. There's our situation. And you've got to understand here in this situation how difficult this would be. So I don't know what you wrote down in your paper, the thing that you're waiting for, the thing that was most important to you, no doubt for her, it was a child. And this time, every woman wanted to have a child. And so I know cultures change some with that, and some people don't want to have children, understand that. But everyone then did. So Sarah had two dreams when she was a young girl. One was to marry Abram, and the other one was to have children. First dream came true. They've been faithfully married in a a committed, monogamous relationship, one man, one woman, for 85 years at this point. Or he's 85 years old, so they didn't get married when they were zero. But whatever, you get what I'm saying. 50 years, 30 years, I don't know how long. It was a long time. It's been a long time, and there's been no one else in this relationship. So it's not like bringing Hagar in, it's just like, oh, that's just what he does. You know, it's not that kind of, it's not that kind of deal. They've been faithfully married, but they haven't been able to have a child. And some of you may have written that down as the thing for you, is having a baby. I think that might be one of the hardest things to wait for. 
especially those who struggle with infertility, especially those who are wanting to be married. I haven't been married and thought it would already happen by this point. I, I, I get that. It's hard. I remember, I remember the first time God really hit me with this. I was in seminary, uh, at Dallas Seminary, and this, this woman was sharing her story, and she was talking, and in the infertility stories oftentimes have a, a rhythm to them, a theme to them. You hear, you know, we tried, and it didn't happen, and then we went to some doctors, and it wasn't happening, and we were praying, and then it seemed like all my friends started getting pregnant, and I didn't want to go to a baby shower, and like I wanted a baby, but I was mad about babies, and so I'd hear a baby crying, and get upset, and I'd hear all these things make me want it more, and so she started talking through all that type of story, and then she got to her first miscarriage, and she starts weeping, and then she told a story of her second miscarriage. And she had 12 miscarriages. And as she was telling the story, I remember, compassion's not usually the thing that comes for me first. Like, uh, I start off oftentimes thinking truth. Like, this is right, do this. And then compassion comes. And, and so what I thought was, stop. Like, as she was telling, like, about fifth or sixth miscarriage, I was thinking, stop trying to have babies. Why don't you stop trying to have babies? But it, I started to sense from her, it was like every time she had a miscarriage, it was like the desire got stronger for her. 12 miscarriages. I started to feel that pain about that pain. We don't know if Sarah's had any miscarriages. We know she's been waiting. She was 65 when she got this promise. Even in the Bible, when they would live longer, that's old. And so then God gives this promise that, that almost seems now like a taunt 10 years later. Why'd you even promise? Like, I had given up on this, and now you give me this promise no, and you still haven't done it, and I don't know what it's like for you, but I know for me, one of the worst things I can do in trying to be obedient is to live in isolation and to start having thoughts in my head without my community of other believer people that are close to me speaking into my life. And so she probably starts having conversations with herself, and she probably thought to herself, well, I wasn't promised to have a child. Abram was promised that he was going to be the father of a nation. Maybe I'm the problem here. Think about all the lies she could start hearing, all the thoughts she might start having. And this is something, it seems really weird to us, like to say to your husband, go sleep with this other woman, and then you can have a baby. And, and maybe we understand like, you know, a surrogate mother, but to actually have intimacy with one another and to do all, that sounds crazy. That was totally and completely culturally acceptable then. In fact, some marriages had it in the contract of after a certain time period, the wife hasn't born children. That's what they'll do. But let me tell you something. Everything that's culturally acceptable is not acceptable to God. Amen. Just because it happens in the Bible doesn't mean that God's condoning it. There's a lot of sin in the Bible. Because it's about sinful people then being pointed to the Redeemer, because the whole story is ultimately about God, who's the only one that's sinless and the only one that can redeem us. That's why the relationship happens by faith and not by works, because we'll all screw up. And so here's the father of our faith, Abraham. He blows it big time. He's a passive man in this passage. Sarah, she's wrong. She's believed lies, and she decides to do something that's culturally acceptable that we know is not acceptable by God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, marriage between one man and one woman, and that's how they're going to fill the earth. And so they go and do it their own way. And what does that reveal to us? It reveals to us at least four beliefs. First belief is this. It's the belief that we believe that God's goodness is in question. We believe that God's goodness is in question. Now, most of us as Christians, even I said earlier, you know the statement, God is good. Come on, Steve. That's right. And the rest of you, and all the time. And we sing songs about God's goodness. I mean, Caleb's a good, good father, right? He's out there. All the, we know the verse he works everything together for good. We know good. All these good. God is good. If I asked you right now, do you believe God's good? I mean, 99% of you would be like, yes. Wow, well, thank you, Steve. <laughs> but as soon as there's pain, what's the first thing we question? It's God's goodness. We don't just ask why. We say, if you are good, then why? Why is my marriage falling apart? Why did I get cancer? Why can't I have a child? Why? 
if you're good, then you're going to do what I want you to do, is what we usually think. We ignore the fact that the Bible tells us we're going to have pain in our lives. John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. That is a promise. But take heart, take courage, be of good cheer, translated different ways. Don't despair. I've overcome the world. Not you got this, by the way. I've overcome the world. So you go through the troubles and ultimately you should be pointed to me. Notice this, it's a promise. And then the second part of that verse is a command. So it's disobedient to not do, to take courage, to not fear, do not despair. Come to me. And when we fail to do that, that is sin. And it's a question of his goodness. And so we say we believe in his goodness, but as soon as life intersects with that, and we know that life's going to bring trouble, there is trouble in this world, it doesn't mean you're being punished, it doesn't mean that you've done something wrong, sometimes there's consequences, totally get that, but it's just part of being in the sinful world. There's problems. There is infertility, there is AIDS, there is cancer. People get abused, there are difficult, terrible things that happen, and it doesn't mean that it's your fault, but Jesus has overcome all this stuff. If he was good, then we turn to him. But oftentimes we don't. And so you see in this passage of Scripture, God is, is almost eerily absent from these first six verses. When is he mentioned? It's in verse 2. Look at verse 2. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. So the, only, the mention he gets is this, that he's stopping me from having children. She's right. God's sovereign. God opens wombs. God closes wombs. He's, she's right about that. But she's not praising him for his sovereignty here. What she's doing is she's accusing him of holding out. It'd be good for me to have a child. You're withholding something that's good for me. In fact, the author of this passage is ultimately God, but Moses writing this passage is intentionally going out of his way to show us the parallels between Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 3. Think about what happens here in this passage of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 16, there's this woman. She sees something. She thinks it's good. She takes it. She gives it to her husband. What happens in Genesis chapter 3? If you don't know Genesis chapter 3, in Genesis chapter 3, that's when sin entered the world. When this woman sees this thing that looks good and she takes it, it doesn't belong to her, and then she gives it to her husband and he passively stands by. There's repeated, the husband listening to the wife, parallel. There's this man being passive, parallel. Adam's just killing it at work too. He's just named all the animals. He's doing awesome. (laughs) But then in the home, okay, there's Abram. (laughs) Abram's just, he's just whipped the butts of four kings and their nations. This other nation comes to him and is like, we're going to give you all this wealth. He's like, I trust the Lord. And then he gets into his house. He's like, okay, honey. Passive man in both passages. You got this woman that's doing stuff that's not, that's not got, but then it's through one man sin under the world. God holds this man accountable for his passivity in the passage. And if, so if you wonder if rushing ahead of God's a sin, there's a reason why Genesis 16 is being intentionally parallel to Genesis chapter 3. But think about what happens in both of them. In both passages of Scripture, they see something they think is good. And let me tell you something. I want you to miss this truth today. Everything that looks good is not from God. Amen. But everything that's from God is good. Everything that looks good is not from God, but everything that's from God is good. And so that fruit on the tree, it looked good. I don't think it was an apple. I told the first service, maybe a pomegranate with like chocolate in the middle. It was good. I bet it was good. And it looked good. And this solution that, that Sarai sees here with Hagar, it looked good because it gets the result that they want. It's the process that was the problem. It wasn't God's plan. It was rushing ahead of God. It looked good, but that wasn't from God. And let me tell you something. Some of you have been married for a little while and things get a little stale in your marriage and you go to the office and there's this person and they always have their hair brushed and they actually brush their teeth <laughs> and they pay attention to you and they listen when you talk. It looks good, doesn't it? doesn't mean it's from God. And computer screen doesn't ask any questions of you, does it? 
doesn't care about what you look like and care what kind of shape you're in, doesn't mean it's from God. That shortcut to get that money, to cheat on the taxes, all that, doesn't mean it's from God. It looks good, very tempting. And, and for a short season, we're just so short-sighted. But let me tell you something, everything that you have in your life, even the difficulties and the delays and maybe the reason why he has you waiting, that is good because let me read you James chapter 1 and verse 7. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from God. Everything that comes from God is good. Matthew chapter 7, you fathers, you think you, you know, talk about love language, you think you're good at giving your kids good gifts? Your heavenly father gave his son for you. He knows how to give good gifts. Everything he gives is good. You might not like it. It might be painful. It might be difficult. But the problem is you think that God's supposed to submit to your definition of goodness. And see, he works everything together for good. Even the sin and the junk that's in this world, he's such a redeemer, he can redeem that to grow you in relationship with him. That's good. And we can say that in this room, but what about when real life intersects? Because our real belief sometimes is, I don't know about God's goodness. It's in question. Second thing we see is that we don't think that God is truly powerful. The second belief that we oftentimes have that our rushing ahead of God reveals is that we don't believe that God is truly powerful. We believe this power can be called into question. And so you see in this passage of Scripture, just there a fact that, that Sarai is manipulating circumstances to try and fulfill God's plan shows that she questions God's power. But if you keep reading, and I challenge you to read more of this story, if you keep reading a couple chapters ahead, what ends up happening is it's more than a decade later. It's like 13, 14 years later. In chapter 18, almost, Abram's almost 100 years old at this point. She's about 90 years old at this point. The Lord reminds Abraham again of this promise. He says, go out and look at the stars. If you can count all the stars, people will be able to count all your descendants. He's also saying to Abraham this, if I can create all these stars, I can create the earth, I can open a womb. Trust me. It's always about trust. A failure to wait is actually a failure to trust. And Sarai laughs. She laughs because she's looking at her circumstances. She's not looking at her God. And so therefore she calls God's power into question. And then God asked this incredible question. He said, why'd your wife laugh? And a little argument about that, which you can read. It's kind of humorous to actually read. But in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 14, he asked this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And what did you write down? What are you waiting on? And don't answer out loud this time. Let me ask you the same question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? See, we know that here. Do we live that? Because a lot of times what I think we do as Christians is, is we think we believe that God parted the Red Sea. Like we believe that he, he provided a child through Abraham even when he was old. As good as dead, the New Testament says. We, we believe that happened. We believe that Jesus walked on water. Today in Bridge Kids, they're teaching your kids about God building the tabernacle. And so God moved. He led people by a cloud. His glory comes down. He speaks directly to Moses. And we're like, yeah, we believe that. Do you know how we oftentimes act in our Christian life, though? We believe God did that stuff in the Bible. We believe we should teach those things to our kids. And you know what we treat God's power like? Like it's kid stuff. Well, that's stuff for kids. I mean, that's for like back then. That's for like little kids. Believe. But like, why in the world are we living impotent Christian lives if we have a powerful God who then says he indwells us with his Holy Spirit and that he's supposed to do beyond what we could ever ask or imagine according to the power that's inside of us that raised Jesus from the dead. But we're afraid to walk by faith. Do you know why? Because we don't truly believe in his power. If you want to know whether you believe in God's power, here's the test. How do you pray? Because what we're going to see in this passage, we read the last part, is that Abraham actually gets rebuked for failing to cry out to God in the middle of this situation. 
What God's doing is trying to grow his roots deeper in relationship. The delay's on purpose. And we know the reason. It's in Hebrews chapter 11. I'll tell you why in a little bit. But he's got Abraham in this waiting stage. And what he should have done is cried out to God. What he doesn't do is cry out to God. God's given him this promise. He's killing it in chapter 14 and 15. And then chapter 16, he's passive and he doesn't cry out. So what happens is God speaks to Hagar, this Egyptian servant, teenage girl, who's pregnant, living with all these foreigners in a bunch of tents. Not God's chosen people. In fact, she gives birth to a son, Ishmael, who becomes the Arab people, the Muslims. And God comes and speaks to her, and she's one of God's people. And God says, I see you, and I want you to name your son Ishmael, because God listens. And so she goes back and tells the story to Abraham, and Abraham, we'll read in verse 16, names Ishmael. That's a rebuke of Abraham, just so you know. Abraham, you didn't cry out to me. I want you to name your son God hears. So it's a con- every time you say his name, I want you to know you turn to me in these times of trouble. God hears. Do you want to know if you believe in God's power? How do you pray? Then I'll answer that question. The third belief that we have here is this, that we believe results are more important than relationship. What it reveals when we rush ahead of God is it, re- it reveals that we believe that results are more important than relationship. We live in a results-oriented society. We live in a results-oriented culture. We want the results. Oftentimes, the reason why we're praying is because we're trying to get an answer to the prayer. We want the results. And so we talk about, I'm not going to blame in this series our culture for all of the, the reasons why we're impatient. I think it's actually a heart issue because patience is a fruit of the Spirit. But if we look, think about the culture that we're in, we're breathing in patience. I was reading an article this week that was just talking about how everything's instant. We get, if you want a cab, just Uber. You don't even have to stand on the corner anymore and ask for a cab. You want to watch a movie? Live stream it. You don't, even have, to, you don't have to rent it. You don't have to go pick it up. You don't have to have it more, more ordered to your house. In moments, you can watch it. And I was talking to my wife about this, and I was telling her just yesterday about how, how funny it is to tell our kids about what it was like to watch cartoons when I was a kid. They were only on on Saturdays. Now, some of you don't know this. Some of you haven't lived in this world. They were only on on Saturdays. If you overslept, you had to wait seven days to watch cartoons. (laughs) My kids cannot fathom a universe in which anyone has lived that's had to wait seven days to watch a cartoon. I was thinking about it this week, and I thought, you know, isn't Amazon Prime awesome? Like, you, can, you don't have to go to the store. You don't have to be in these places. You can have something at your house in two days. I think in the next couple of years, we're going to reminisce and think to ourselves, do you remember when we used to have to wait two days to get a package to our house? Now we just think it, and it's on the kitchen counter, like however that happens. <laughs> They're doing studies now of how impatient we are. And I was reading this article that was talking about some of these things, and, and they said this. Here's the study, if you want to look it up. The, the Pew Research Center's Internet an America Life Project sums up a study about people under the age of 35, not bashing them, I think we're all victims of this, this is just their study, the dangers of living in a hyper-connected world. Their conclusion sounds like a warning label on a pack of cigarettes. Listen to it. It doesn't say Surgeon General, but it sounds like this. It says this. The negative effects include a need for instant gratification and loss of patience. These will happen, is what they say. One of the studies they cite in this article talks about how long we'll wait for a video on the internet, whether it's social media, we're going to YouTube, whatever it is. It doesn't matter how cute that cat is. It doesn't matter the blooper reel. It doesn't even matter if you know the person in it. You know what they concluded? We will wait two seconds. Two seconds. After five seconds, 25% of people have checked out. After, 50, or after 10 seconds, 50% of people have checked out. So if you'll wait 11 seconds for something, you have the fruit of the Spirit. Think about what a short time window that is, though, actually. 
Here she's been waiting for 10 years in this passage. And then she sees a solution. I see a result. Hagar's the result. Maybe that's why. And you see how you can start rationalizing this, justifying this. She probably even thinks that she's a martyr in this situation. I'm willing to sacrifice my, my, the intimacy my husband and I have had together, the faithfulness we've had together. I'm willing to have that so that we can get the result, God. I'm going to help you with the result. And we think that God wants results. And what God's working on is relationship. I was thinking about that this week. And I don't know if you remember a few years ago, Staples came out with the easy button. Remember these? I hit the thing. That was easy. Yeah, I hit that. Usually used in times when things aren't easy. I thought, what if we had a results button? What if I, I told you over the month of July while I was off, you know, the Lord spoke to me. He gave me this button. He said, you can just give it to folks. And, and, and if they hit this button, it'll skip them to the thing that they're wanting. And so I don't know what you wrote down, but what if you believe, what if you honestly believe that hitting this button will get you the result you wanted? And you can come up and hit this button and you, get, and you want to have a baby and you'd be in the delivery room. Or you want to be at the job, you'd have the promotion. Or you want to be married, the spouse, boom, spouse appears, boom, it's there. There's like an, they're probably trying to come up with apps for that, by the way. Just come and hit this button. Would you hit the button? And I'll just set it right here, and for many of you, you won't be able to think about anything else the rest of the sermon. <laughs> Am I going to go up there? Is there an altar call? I might hit the button when I get up there. <laughs> I heard a question on social media that got me thinking along this uh, lines too, a few months ago. The question was this, if you could go back to being 10 years old and know what you know now, or skip ahead 10 years and have $5 million in your bank account, which one would you pick? You think about it. And I think to go back to be 10 years old, I'd have to go through middle school again. No human should have to go through middle school twice. Why would I do that? 10 years and I'd miss things. And, and then I realized, well, as a Christian, it's actually a trick question. Because either answer you pick, you're, you're saying you're not content with where God has you right now. And so many of us, we so want the result, we miss the moment that God has for us. We want, you, you do want to come hit the button. You'd be like, oh, yeah, hitting the button. That was easy. And we want it, but we miss the, the whole process. And you think about anything that you've gone through that's been hard. You graduated from any place? It wasn't the moment of walking across the street. Now, that was fulfilling. But why was it? Because of all the things you did up to that moment. You had a baby. It's painful. And who wants to have another human inside their body? But you grow close. There's this intimacy. It's like that whole process. It's on the first service. I've, I've run a marathon before. Now, if I, I loved crossing the finish line. Crossing the finish line was awesome. But if all I want to do is cross the finish line, I didn't even have to sign up for a race. I could have gone and hung out by the finish line. That's about what time I want. I'm kind of trying <laughs> across the thing. And I'd have been a different person. Because I'd have missed the training, I'd have missed the obstacles, I'd have missed the terrible workouts, I'd have missed people discouraging me, I'd have missed the people who encourage me. And there's a whole process that goes through there. And what God's doing in Abraham and Sarah's life here is he's having them delayed for a reason. And it's so that he gets all the glory. In Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12, it tells us that it was waiting until Abraham was at the spot where he was as good as dead. At 85, no, you can still have a child. That's obvious because of what happened with Hagar. I'm going to wait till you're 100. Because it's in your weaknesses that I'm made known. And so some of you, maybe it's a job. And you are qualified for jobs. In fact, you've probably been told you're overqualified for some jobs. But God's going, no, I want it to be really clear that I'm the one that provided the job for you. That's why you're in delay. I want it to be really clear that I'm the one that, and what, I don't know what you're waiting on. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't know his plan. I know it's good. I know he's powerful. I know he could do it right at this moment. And he hasn't. And one of the reasons why he hasn't is because he wants to develop a relationship with you. And so while you're rushing to results, and when you go to prayer, you're like, save my spouse, do this thing, give me a baby, give us a building, save whatever the thing is, and God's going, oh, if I did that, you're not ready. I got, I got to work for you. 
I want to do that work here and now. Don't miss your moment because you're in process. And it's relationship, not results that God's looking for. And we rush ahead to results, and what we do is we cause problems, and we make a mess. And the false belief that it reveals that we have, it's a real belief of ours, but it's not really true, is that we believe that the consequences of sin will be small, if at all. We believe the consequences of our sin will be small. There won't be many, we probably don't think there's any. We think that it's going to actually be advantageous. There's a way that seems right, but in the end it leads to death, Proverbs 14, 12. We think we know the right thing to do. We, we think that the sin is alluring. It looks good. We go after it. We grab it. And it's gratifying or else no one would do it. But it's short term. And there's always a ripple effect. And what you see in this passage of Scripture is there's a ripple effect. Sarah's sin doesn't just affect Sarah. Abram's sin doesn't just affect Abram. It doesn't just affect each other. It affects Hagar. And then it ends up affecting this child, Ishmael. And then it ends up not only affecting Ishmael, but Ishmael becomes the father of the Arab people. And then we know that Abraham's going to give birth to Isaac. Isaac is going to be the father of the Jewish people. They're still in conflict today, 4,000 years later. Turn on the news today. One of the channels will have some special about the conflict in the Middle East. It goes back to this passage of Scripture. And this passage of Scripture ties to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, think about what happened. is through one man's sin entered the world. All of us are then born into sin because of what happened in Genesis chapter 3. Have you ever thought about what happened in that passage? They ate a piece of fruit. And I think, I mean, he didn't kill her. He wasn't beating his wife. He was passive is what happened. And then they ate some fruit. And I think about my house, like things that happen at my house. We let our kids eat candy sometimes, but we'll have some, you know, stored up in the, in the pantry. Every once in a while, I'll go to the pantry, and there'll be, like, wrappers on the floor. <laughs> I don't know if I'm more mad that they're doing it or that they're bad at it. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> but then I see, and then you read Genesis chapter 3, and I'm like, I can, I, not that I want to take the role of God in it, but, like, as a father, how stupid must it have looked to God that Adam and Eve hid from him? He's like, you guys aren't even good at this. I'm omniscient, by the way. <laughs> he just sees everything. He's the God who sees. He just knows all the stuff. See, the issue wasn't what they did. It's who they sinned against. Amen. And so we rush ahead of God and we think, yeah, but I didn't kill anybody. Yeah, but at least I didn't. And some of these people, maybe they. I mean, it's obvious when you commit adultery, there's a ripple effect. It doesn't just affect you and your, your spouse. It's obvious when you get caught stealing money, cheating on your taxes, things like that, impact your company, impact your testimony, the whole church. I get that. But we think to ourselves, I just got angry. I'm just jealous. I just got ahead of God's timing. There's always a ripple effect. At the very least, it breaks your fellowship with God. It was your sin that nailed Jesus to the cross. See, there's only one that's sinless. It's Jesus Christ. As while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of your sin is death, a separation from God. That's either the death that Jesus Christ died when he was on the cross or your eternal separation from God because you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior. There's always a cost for sin, and it's always bigger than you think it is. There's a ripple effect, and it creates a mess. For them, family mess. There's self-righteousness from Sarah in this passage. There's a passivity of Abraham in this passage, the woundedness of Hagar in this passage. You think about her being in her mess, and that takes us to our glorious truth that we'll wrap up with today. Just read verses 7 through 16 with me. It's this, that God meets us in our mess. God is gracious. doesn't mean there's not consequences. doesn't mean there wasn't pain, and we'll see some of that as we read this passage. It says this, that Hagar's fleeing out into the desert. Remember, Sarah's being a terrible, terrible boss. It says, the angel of the Lord, that's the pre-incarnate Christ. This is Jesus in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. In the spring on the way to Shur. That's telling us that she's headed back to Egypt. Oftentimes, when we're running, we go back to our old way of life. We go back to what we know. And he said, Hagar, this Egyptian servant, Hagar, servant of Sarah." 
Where have you come from? Where are you going? Sounds a lot like Genesis chapter 3. Isn't it interesting, too, that when they sinned in the garden, God pursued them. God meets us in our mess. She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. She doesn't have an answer to the second question. Where are you going? Oftentimes, we don't think, we don't, we don't even think that long term. It's like Dr. Phil going, Is that, how's that working out for you? Where are you headed with this? Where does this lead? She said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, go back. Return to your mistress and submit to her. I strategically placed you there. I am good. I am powerful. I want relationship with you. He wants relationship with this woman, even though she's not an Israelite. Always. It's, never just been, it's not just a racial thing here. He's always wanted the nations to come to Christ. He says, return to your mistress. You submit to her. Go back to the pain. The angel of the Lord didn't just tell her to do this difficult thing. He gives her a promise. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring. You cling to this promise. It's the same promise they gave Abraham. So that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant. The first ever ultrasound right here. And shall bear a son. And you shall call his name Ishmael. Remember that means God hears. And then he explains it. Because the Lord has listened to your affliction but then there's consequences. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over and against his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. It's the only place in the Bible where someone names God. This is significant. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who sees me, who looks after me, who cares for me. God meets us in our mess. And therefore, the well was called Bear Laharoy, Roy, 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 Roy. I don't know. I worked on it all week. Bear Laharoy, Roy. It lies between Kadesh and Barad. And Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram, not Sarai, Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar, not Sarai, bore. Ishmael, God hears. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And then read 17, verse 1, if you brought the Bible. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, he was 86 in verse 16, he's 99 in the next verse. Don't miss that. 13 years, you know what he was doing? Waiting. You just stay married, Abram. You just do what married people do, Abram. You need only to be silent, cease striving. I will work, but I'll meet you in your mess. And we see that throughout the Bible. It's like a theme that when we hit these lowest points, that God meets us there. Sometimes that's why he has us in delay, because he's breaking us. Jairus, when his daughter dies. So why do you even got to go? Why don't you even bother the teacher? The woman at the well. Hey, you got five guys that you've been married to. The guy you're shacking up with now is not your husband, but Jesus still wants to meet her. The woman caught in adultery. See, it was at these lowest points. You've just been diagnosed with cancer, just found out you were infertile. Just, then God meets us in these moments. I was talking with a guy, meeting with a guy this week. He was talking to me about when he came to Christ. He said, hey, tell me about when you came to Christ. He says, right before I went to prison. See, he knew stuff in his head, growing up in church. But it wasn't until he hit the bottom. I remember one time being at a church in Arkansas and talking to a guy. the leader of their Celebrate Recovery Ministry. Great ministry we have here at our church. 12-step, Christ-centered deal. And this guy was talking about his meth addiction and how his mom was about to write a check for $10,000 for him to get into rehab. And he said to her, don't write the check. I don't want to quit. I haven't hit bottom. He knew he was going to go out and destroy himself. Eventually, by the grace of God, he hit bottom. And God meets us in our mess. That's why you were a sinner. Christ died for you. He wasn't waiting for you to clean yourself up. And so, some of us here have rushed ahead of God. Some of us have tried to play Holy Spirit in our spouse's life. 
Some of us try to manipulate people into getting saved. Some of us try to force our way into making our dream become a reality. The thing you wrote down on that piece of paper hasn't happened yet, but it's not because you haven't tried to make it happen. And some of you have created a mess in that. And so as we conclude today, we're just going to pray for some of the folks that would acknowledge that. I've gotten ahead of the Lord. I need, to, I need to repent. I need the Lord to meet me in this moment. Here I am, and I'm so frustrated. This is the thing, and I'm trying, and I want to, and I wish. And so what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is simply this. I'm just going to ask you to stand where you're seated. We don't need to know the details. No one's going to ask you the details. I'm not going to manipulate you or twist this in any way. But I want to pray for you this morning. And so the worship team's going to come. They're going to start playing some music. I'm going to start praying. We're going to lower the lights down here. I'm just going to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. And, and if you've gotten ahead of the Lord, I want us to just have a moment where, where you say, God, I want to meet you in this. I, I apologize. I've gotten ahead of you. And so i just give you the, the freedom to stand right now. So if people stand up already, that's great. And uh, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. I'm not trying to figure it out. If you, sent, if you sent somebody stood up around you, start praying for that person. Like I said, you don't need to ask their situation. You can tell them you prayed for them if you want. We've got people standing up in the back and off here to the side. And if you want to stand, we're going we're gonna to pray. And you continue to stand up. Thank you for having the courage of standing up. Don't feel any pressure to stand up. But if you've gotten ahead of the Lord and you need to repent of that and you need to ask Him to meet you in this and Maybe the way you've been parenting your kids or maybe something's happening at work or some circumstance that's taking place. Maybe something you're trying to, you're trying to make this happen in a marriage or whatever it is. You stand. I'm just bow our heads and let's pray. Father, first I just want to thank you for those that have the courage to stand and acknowledge that they've sinned before you. And I know I've done it. I've done it lots of times. Lots of ways and lots of circumstances. And Father, we're, we're sorry. And you know why each person has stood. The passage tells us you are the God who sees. You are the God who hears. We don't want to miss what Abraham missed in this passage. We don't want to miss crying out to you. God, we cry out to you. And we cry out to you. We want results. We do want results. And we know that you want relationships. Help us to delight in you. Help us to delight our hearts in you and to realize that the satisfaction is not going to come from that re result that we want. Whatever that result is, whatever the outcome is we're hoping for, a building as a church, uh, uh, provision in some financial way for somebody, a uh, child, uh, a marriage, a healing from a disease. Even if we get healed from a disease, we're still going to die. God, help us to realize that ultimately satisfaction comes from knowing you. God, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you today, they would trust you as their Savior. Maybe, maybe one of the people that's standing, maybe somebody who's still seated, you convict their heart of their sin and their need for you, and they would call upon you in this moment. Make the burden heavy. But God, for those who are standing and saying, I've gotten ahead, I don't want to. We, we remember, I remember even just what we were doing in that reading when we were called to worship. You say in Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 and 29, all who are weary and burdened, you'll give them rest for their souls. We come to you, and some of us are weary. We're tired from trying to work it out on our own. We're exhausted from trying to be moral enough, from trying to be good enough, from trying to earn your blessing. And by that, we mean manipulate you to do our thing. God, we repent. And God, will you meet each one of these people that are standing right now in this moment? And I pray for the people that are seated. I just give them wisdom and how to pray for the folks that are standing around them. And I pray for those that are standing. God, I pray that you'd, you'd meet us, meet them, be, be present with them. Some of them rushed ahead in their career. Some of them rushed ahead in different spots. I don't know what the details are. You do, you hear. And as their hearts cry out to you, I pray that you'd meet with them. Let me give an invitation to some other folks to stand. If, if that thing that you wrote down is a big deal in your life, the most important thing that you're waiting on, it's frustrating, it's tempting for you to rush out. It's tempting for you to check out, which we haven't really talked about today. It's tempting for you to just give up. 
But I want to give you an opportunity to stand as well. And we want to pray for you. So if you would like to stand, feel free to stand. The heads are bowed, eyes are closed. People aren't watching you, but you stand. People don't know why you're standing. You stand. The Lord knows why. He hears. He sees. And Father, I pray for those that are others that have stood, that have just stood now. And I don't even know what to pray. But you do. The Holy Spirit interpret our groanings and our moanings, and we don't even know what to say. But I know it's hard to wait. And we wait upon you, but we don't want to wait. And it's hard. It's tempting to check out. God, I pray that you'd remind those folks that stood of your goodness. Remind them of your power. And maybe that means delivering a result, or maybe it means doing something else. And don't let them miss it. Give them eyes to see it over the next couple days. Do something specific. Answer a specific prayer. Show them your love. Show them your wisdom. Show them your care. Show them you hear. Show them you see. Just like you did with Hagar when she was hurting, when she was in the wilderness. And here she is with these people. They speak a different language. They live in uncomfortable circumstances, different cultures, eat different food. But you knew. You were watching. You heard. God, will you hear the cries of those who stood? Will you see, speak your care into their lives? And again, I pray for anybody who needs to come to know you. I pray they would know you. Because fixing a temporary problem is not going to change eternity. I pray you change their eternity. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.